And just very quickly, you know, it's been a very busy week, uh, I write for Men Online. It's been a very busy week there uh, for an article that I wrote about Maddie McCann. You know, it seems to me uh, it's one of those subjects we've never been allowed to speak about. We're not really allowed, in my personal view, uh, to speak about Maddie McCann. When I used to write for a different newspaper, I often asked to speak about Maddie or write about Maddie, and I was never allowed. I was told I wouldn't be taking the story forwards. And finally, after campaigning at the mail, I was allowed to write about Maddie. And my belief um, that uh, the thing, you know, we've never really been allowed to say is that Maddie is never coming home. In my opinion, Maddie will never be found. You know, for me, I believe, you know, no amount of money and no amount of libel action will ever cancel out the damage that the McCanns have brought and inflicted upon themselves. I've always said, you know, I don't believe uh, we should have spent £11 million pounds for example, to look for Maddie. And I do not believe uh, we've seen an equal treatment. You know, a man was charged for leaving his daughter in a car for two minutes while he raced into a chemist to get cowpole for her. You know, he was charged with that offence. And I do believe um, if the McCanns had come from a council estate, you know, we would have seen them treated very differently to the way that they have been treated over this. Um, I still see Kate McCann's face being used to front up um you know, campaigns to help find children when they're lost, which of course is something we'd all support, but I find it very difficult to offer support when it's Kate McCann's face that's standing up as the concerned mother looking for missing children. Um, it seems to me that she's the very opposite person uh, to use. I believe that was one of the least, cam- least successful campaigns of all times. It strikes me the BBC, for example, were in on it as well. You know, they had the Crime Watch uh, programme for the McCanns where they released new photo fits, photo fits that the McCanns had been sitting on for five years because they didn't want to release them at the time. It strikes me, speaking very openly here on National Radio, live on the radio, um, the the McCanns were the ones that put uh, their children in harm's way. They were the ones that went out for dinner and left their children without a babysitter. For me, I've always said the blame must sit uh, with uh, Kate and Jerry McCann. I have no problem with Welcome to our December Patreon episode of the True Crime Sisters podcast. Thank you all so much for your support. I know we don't offer anything too fancy in return, but we hope that you do enjoy this extra episode. This case is one of those cases that I am well and truly down the rabbit hole with. I've followed it since it happened back in 2007, and I research it whenever I have an opportunity. We're going to try and stay as objective as possible in putting forward the facts, following the evidence, and looking at all the theories. This case is extremely complicated, and because the Portuguese police files are available on the internet, there's far too much information to fit into one podcast episode, so if we miss anything, we do apologise. We've done our best to compile all the most important information. And with that, here's Bill. Kate Healy was born in 1968 in Houghton. She graduated from the University of Dundee with a medical degree in 1992. She worked briefly in gynaecology and obstetrics before moving into anaesthetics and general practice. Jerry McCann was also born in 1968 in Glasgow and graduated with his Bachelor of Physiology and Sports Science in 1989 before obtaining his MD in 2002. 
The couple met in 1993 in Glasgow and got married in 1998. Jerry McCann is a consultant cardiologist at Glenfield Hospital in Leicester and has been since 2005. Kate initially struggled to become pregnant despite reportedly being desperate to start a family. They watched as their friends got pregnant and had babies while her and Jerry struggled to conceive. In the end, the couple decided to try IVF and went through one unsuccessful attempt before they found out they would be having a little girl. In 2003, little Madeline Beth McCann was born. The couple was blessed again in 2005 with twins, a boy and a girl, Sean and Emily. The case starts with the McCanns deciding they were going to join their friends on a family holiday to Praia de Luge, Portugal. And what I mean by this is that multiple different families, so including the parents and kids, were all going together on a holiday. Praia de Luge is a little town around six kilometres from Lagos in the Algarve. The name Praia de Luge means Beach of the Light in English and refers to the crossover of the urban village and the beach. The village was originally a small fishing village, but is now a known tourist destination, with several holiday villas located with close proximity to the beach. On Saturday the 28th of April 2007, the McCanns took, a fl- took flight WW5531, leaving at 9.30am from the East Midlands Airport to Faro Airport in Portugal. At the time, Madeline was three, almost four, and the twins were two, so I'm sure it wasn't easy transporting the three. They travelled with their close friends, Fiona and David Payne, and their two daughters, Scarlett and Lily. Their other friends, Russell O'Brien, Jane Tanner, Matthew Oldfield, and Rachel Mampilly Oldfield, as well as Fiona's mum, Diane Webster, had all flown out of Gatwick earlier that day. The flight from England to Portugal is approximately three hours. The McCanns and the Paynes arrived at Faro Airport at approximately 12.30pm. They took the A22 from Faro to Praia de Luge and arrived at the Ocean Club Resort at around 3pm. They signed into reception and were then taken to their apartments. The McCanns were in apartment 5A. The apartment had two bedrooms one in which the McCanns pushed the two single beds together to create a master bed. The other room had two single beds, one of which was for Madeline, and the two cots were also placed in there for the twins. According to the McCanns' statements, they made sure the shutters in the kids' room worked and then closed them so the room would be dark for the kids to nap and sleep. They say they left them like this for the remainder of the week. According to different statements made about the day, They went out to the supermarket and stocked up on snacks, had a swim and a chill by the pool, and or went to the tapas restaurant, which had a playground nearby for the kids to play. At approximately 5pm, the entire group of nine adults and eight children met at the tapas restaurant for an introductory meeting with resort staff. Sangria was served to the adults, while the Mark Warner staff outlined the facilities and events that would be on offer during the group's stay. At 6.30pm, the meeting ended and the group went in to book their kids to the kids' club activities, which began the following day. The group then took all eight kids on a walk to the Millennium Restaurant where they arrived at around 7pm. The Millennium Restaurant was around 650 metres from the apartments, which isn't far for an adult, but getting eight small children there was quite a hike, according to statements from Kate McCann. 
They sat at a large table for about an hour eating their dinner. They discussed the fact that the Millennium generally didn't serve dinner until 7.30pm, which would be too late for the children. They collectively decided that they would eat dinner at the tapas from that point onwards so that they could keep the children in their routine. The fact that they dined at the tapas restaurant for the remainder of the trip is what earned them the nickname the Tapas Nine. After dinner on that first night, the group headed back to the apartments exhausted, arriving at around 8.45pm. Kate McCann said this was approximately an hour after the children's bedtime. After getting the kids off to bed, Kate and Jerry took a bath and settled down in the lounge to watch some television. The second day of the holiday, the Sunday, was far more sunny. The group enjoyed the day, utilising the offerings of the Mark Warner Resort. This was the first night that the group of adults fed the children early and put them to bed in their apartments. Following this, the adults all left the children unsupervised and walked the 77.38 metres to the Tapas restaurant. This distance is commonly being reported as closer, but those measurements are as the crow flies, not walking distance. To walk to the Tapas restaurant, the McCanns would have to leave either from the front of the apartment or the backsliding patio doors, then walk down the path, through the reception and around the pool. They could see the apartments from the Tapas restaurant, but they couldn't see the actual doors. They would do the same thing on the remaining nights of the holiday, using what they had called their own baby listening service. According to the group, they would take turns going to check on their own children every 30 minutes or so to make sure they were still asleep. And I'll just add here, the reason they did their own baby listening service is because they heard that at other Mark Warner Resorts um, staff actually offered a service of going around to the different doors and listening. So from what they say, they just thought they were doing something that was already offered at other resorts. So yeah, I just thought I'd add that in. On the Tuesday night, there was a trivia night at the tapas bar, which the group attended after having dinner. The lady who owned the apartment above the one the McCanns were staying was named Mrs. Pamela Isabel Fenn. She claims that on the Tuesday night, she heard crying coming from what she was sure was the apartment below hers, which was the McCanns. The crying got increasingly louder and the child sounded like it was saying, Daddy, Daddy, over and over again. She thought that it sounded like a young child, not a baby, and she had no doubts where the sound was coming from. The crying went on from 10.30pm to 11.45pm when she heard the parents arrive home through the sliding patio doors. Many of us have heard that one of the mornings the McCann... Many of us have heard that on one of the mornings of the McCann's holiday, Madeline supposedly said, why didn't you come when Sean and I cried last night? But according to the McCanns, this was actually in relation to the Wednesday night. So because of Pamela Fenn's witness statement, it does actually indicate that the children may have woken up and cried at least two nights of the holiday, which I don't really feel is a commonly known fact. But if you go and look at the PJ files online, you can find this information. According to statements made by the staff at the Tapas Bar, the group had stayed there very late on the Wednesday night. So that is the night that Madeline said that her and Sean woke up. Staff remember wanting 
wanting to close up for the night at approximately midnight, but the group was still going strong until around 1am. This differs from Kate and Jerry's account, in which they say they were only there until just after 11pm. So this is sort of where the inconsistencies start between the staff and the Tapas Nine. So now we'll run through the key day of the McCann's Portugal holiday, Thursday the 3rd of May 2007. And we're going to take this information from the McCann's first initial statements, as these are likely to be the most accurate. Keep in mind, some of their statements have since changed, so if this isn't the story as you know it, it's because their story changed from the first interview. According to the McCann's, they woke up at approximately 7am, which is when Madeline made the statement about the twins waking up and crying. This statement later changed from the twins crying to Madeline crying or Madeline and Sean crying. Jerry and Kate both state that they found her comments strange as they had not heard any crying during their checks the previous night. They had breakfast in the apartment which Jerry had bought from the Batista supermarket. They left the apartment and dropped the twins and Madeline at their kids' clubs. Kate and Jerry then had their hour-long tennis lessons. There is conflicting information about who picked up the children from Kids Club, but it seems that the children were picked up and they had lunch in the apartment with food they had bought from the supermarket. Following this, the kids were returned to the Kids Club. They played some more tennis and Kate went for a jog. Jerry McCann took the kids for dinner where Kate joined them after her jog. Kate has made a point of stating that Madeline was very tired that night and needed to be carried home from dinner. Again, different accounts of the following make it hard to know exactly what happened. After Kate took the kids back to the apartment, Jerry went to play some tennis. At approximately 6.30pm, Jerry claims he sent David Payne to apartment 5A to see how Kate was getting on with her children. When Kate describes this, she says she has just got out of the shower and was in a towel when David Payne dropped by. And she says he was there for about 30 seconds max and didn't enter the apartment. In David Payne's description, he goes into great depth about how angelic and content the three children looked with their mother. He said he stayed there for about half an hour. Jerry McCann also indicated that David was gone for about half an hour. This is a large inconsistency between 30 seconds and 30 minutes, and we are not sure why Kate's account was so different from the men's. The upstairs neighbour, Mrs Fenn, confirms she saw David Payne on the McCann's patio at 7pm. Kate then read a story with the children and had some snacks. She describes this as a nice moment they spent together. The children were put to bed and the couple had a drink together and checked that the children were asleep before heading to the tapas at around 8.35pm. They were the first to arrive out of the group. The children's bedroom door was left ajar and the sliding doors were closed but not locked with the curtains drawn. The front door was locked. When the others arrived, they talked and drank and Kate mentioned to Fiona and Jane that Madeline had said she had woken up that morning. She mentioned to Fiona and Jane what Madeline had said about either her or the twins waking up the night before. Jerry McCann suggests that he made the first check on the McCann's children at about 9.05pm. Reportedly, Matthew Oldfield also left at around 9.05pm and did a bit of a lap of the resort, sort of checking the windows and doors of the apartments for some reason. Back to Jerry, he says that he needed to go to the toilet and he walked the long way around and entered back through the apartment through the locked front door rather than taking the shorter route through the unlocked sliding glass patio, 
which some people have mentioned is strange if he was needing to go to the toilet. Jerry says that the kids were fine in his statements and he goes into great detail about standing over Maddie and thinking to himself how beautiful she was. In later interviews, he would also say that he felt the presence of another person in the room. Um, these are two points that are a little bit conflicting between the two statements that he gave because obviously if you're standing over your child thinking how beautiful they are, um, it, it kind of conflicts with the feeling of having another person in the room and then to also go and leave the room and leave the apartment if you had that feeling. Uh, a little bit strange. People have questioned why he did say that, so I just thought I'd bring that up. So after that, Jerry went to the toilet and then he left the apartment. When he left the apartment, he crossed paths with Jeremy Wilkins, who was another holiday maker that he had met before playing tennis. And Jeremy was out and about walking around with his child in a pram, trying to get the baby off to sleep. Jerry and Jeremy engaged in a brief conversation. At the same time that Jerry was having a chat at approximately 9.10pm, Jane Tanner reports she was walking to check on her children. She claims that she passed Jerry and Jeremy, who were on the other side of the road. The men do not remember seeing her walk past them. She says that as she was walking up the path, she saw a man about 10 to 15 feet in front of her cross over the top of the road holding a child wearing pyjamas. According to her initial statements, she didn't think a lot about the sighting at the time and continued to go about her business. At approximately 9.30pm, it was Kate's turn to check on the children, but apparently because Matthew Oldfield was going to check on his own children and Kate was busy chatting, he offered to also check on the McCann children. He entered the McCann's apartment through the sliding glass door, which, as we said before, was unlocked, and briefly observed the children's bedroom, where he was able to see the twins. But he didn't see Madeline. According to Kate, Jerry and Matt's statements, he didn't think much of it and assumed that because it was all quiet, the three children were fine. A little talked about fact is that Matt's wife, Rachel, actually contradicted this in her statement. And this is something that I actually haven't heard mentioned, I don't think, in any of the other podcasts that I've listened to about this, but I did think it was something that was um, worth bringing up, whether it actually means something or whether it was just a slip of the tongue. Um, she said that Matt said to her that he could see the twins were in their bed and that he didn't put his head around the door, but he did wonder where Madeline slept. And I'm going to read that sentence again because if you listen, the first part of the sentence and the last part of the sentence don't make sense together. So he told her he could see the twins were in their beds, but he didn't put his head around the door, but he did wonder why Madeline slept. And this leaves me wondering, why did, Why were you wondering where Madeline slept if you didn't check whether she was in her bed or not? Now, this is followed by um, Rachel stating, Matthew poked his head, you know, kind of looked into Jerry and Kate's room, just saw that there was a double bed there, you know. He assumed they were all in together, um, but he didn't look to see whether they whether Madeline was there or not. Rachel's statement suggested that her husband had entered the room and was confused about where Madeline slept. It would be logical that then he would then look in the other room to see if she was there. According to Kate McCann, Matt came back to the restaurant and said that everything was fine and all is quiet. Now, there are two alternatives that can be drawn from the witness statements about what happened next, and we're going to discuss both. 
First, if you believe what Kate McCann said in her statement about what happened next, she went to check on the children at about 10pm. She says that she went in the sliding door and noticed immediately that the children's bedroom door was wide open. She says when she went to grab the door handle, the door slammed shut, like it was being pulled from her hand. She says when she opened the door, she noticed the shutters raised and the curtains open. She noticed that the twins were in their beds, but Madeline wasn't. After checking around the apartment, she ran to the tapas to raise the alarms, leaving the twins in the apartment. She was reportedly screaming, they've taken her and we've let her down. The account of other witnesses from that night, including a couple that were guests at the Ocean Club, an executive chef, a fitness instructor and a waiter, call Kate's account into question though. They all suggest that the alarm of a missing child was actually raised much earlier, somewhere between 9.15pm and 9.40pm, which is much closer to when Matthew Oldfield conducted his check on the children. The easy conclusion to draw here, if we rely on these witnesses, is that it was actually Matthew that noticed Madeline was gone, not Kate, and the search began immediately after. And I just want to emphasise that this information purely comes from the Portuguese police files. So, obviously, I was not at the tapas bar that night. I cannot confirm whether this happened, but I just... Just piecing together from those witness files... It is strange that if Kate did the check at 10pm, why do other witnesses say that the searches began closer to the time when it was Matthew that had done the search? So based on the bulk of the witness statements, the Tapas 9 group began their search for Madeline somewhere between 9.15 and 9.40pm. At 9.55pm, a family spotted a man walking with a child towards the beach. We will discuss this point in more detail later in the episode. At 10.30pm, the upstairs neighbour of the McCanns, Mrs Fenn, who we talked about earlier, heard shouting from a hysterical woman yelling, we have let her down. She saw Jerry McCann and asked what was going on, and he said a little girl has been abducted. She found it strange that he didn't mention it was his daughter. At 10.50pm, the first call to the Garda National Republica, which is the rural police in Lagos, was made. Reporting a missing child and a patrol arrived at the Ocean Club approximately 12 to 15 minutes later. The police, along with many of the guests and staff members of the Ocean Club, searched the resort and nearby beaches for Madeline. David Payne, one of the Tapas Nine, gave a description of Madeline and the clothes she was wearing as Kate McCann was reportedly too distraught to speak. Not long after this, Jane Tanner reported her sighting of the man carrying the child across the road to a GNR police officer. From the start, the Portuguese police did not feel like this was an abduction case. The police found Kate and Jerry to be nervous and anxious, and while they made loud noises that sounded like crying, there were no tears. Now, in fairness to all sides, this might be how they expressed their emotions, but it was what was written in the official reports. Police also pointed out that the group pushed the idea that Madeline was abducted strongly. There was no suggestion that she may have wandered off or gone looking for her parents, which is a bloody good point. Because, yeah, well, I think your initial thought, I know for myself, if my child went missing, would be that they'd wandered off. Mm. That would be the first thought. Yeah. 
According to the police, the Tapas 9 seemed more interested in speaking to the press than to the police. While staff members and holidaymakers of the Ocean Club Resort searched for Maddie, there is a note in the police records that suggests that neither Kate, Jerry, nor their friends were out looking for her, but rather were speaking on the phone informing the press about the disappearance. The twins remained asleep throughout the mayhem in the apartment. At approximately 2am, one of the Portuguese police officers decided to contact law enforcement at the Faro airport to alert them of the situation in case anyone boarded a plane with a child matching Maddie's description. They put out warnings to patrols to be on the lookout for drivers accompanied by a child too. At around 3am, the McCanns, who were practising Roman Catholics, asked for a priest to come to their location. So that's what we know of the night in question, summed up really based on the available witness statements. So one point that I wanted to talk about before we get into theories, and we mentioned it briefly in the timeline, was the sighting of the Smith family, which was at at 9.55pm. In the Smith family, there were four adults and five children, and they were coming home after having a few drinks at a bar called Kelly's Bar. While they were walking, they passed a man who was walking hurriedly with a child and he was holding the child across his chest and the child appeared to be in a very deep sleep. Her arms were sort of, rather than being wrapped around the man's neck like a sleeping child usually does, um, her hands were kind of limply at her side is how they described it. The girl was wearing light-coloured PJs, had blonde shoulder-length hair, looked approximately three to four years old, Um, and the man had an average build. He looked like he was in his 30s, 1.7 to 1.8 metres tall, with short brown hair. Now, four months later, um, the dad from the Smith family, Martin Smith, was watching TV. By the way, he had reported this to police at the time, and, um, yeah. So four months later, he was watching TV, and he saw a clip of Jerry McCann carrying one of the twins down the steps of the plane, And when he saw this, he was really shocked. He thought to himself, this looks like exactly like the man from the night that was holding the child. He was holding the child in exactly the same way. And obviously the implication here by Martin Smith was that he thought it could be Jerry carrying Madeline's body to hide her. Um, He reportedly had no doubt that it was Jerry. And the rest of the members of the Smith family who were interviewed also believed that this could be the case. Obviously, we weren't there, so we can't say for sure. This is just what comes directly from the police files. Um, The obvious question is, could Jerry of McCann have gotten away from the Ocean Club and to the spot where the Smith family saw the man in that time frame? What we will do now is go through the main theories and points of interest and talk about the evidence in favour of and against each. So, in favour of the abduction theory... There was a note made in the booking or reservation book for the Tapas restaurant to make sure the Tapas 9 could have their table for the entire trip at 8.30pm. Reportedly, where the reservation was made, the staff member wrote that the group would be leaving their children unsupervised. There is some inconsistencies about who made this block booking, but the idea is that this book would have been easy for any of the guests at the Tapas restaurant to come across and also the staff. So did someone see that there would be children left unsupervised and take that opportunity to abduct Madeline? And another theory in favour of the abduction 
um, is what reason would the McCann's friends have for covering up and concealing the death of Madeline? Um, so this is one of the main questions that has been asked. Um, and also I have heard people say, because she was an IVF baby as well, why would the McCann's themselves um, be involved in this? So that that's obviously in favour of the abduct, abduction because why would all of these people, that's a lot of people, to have to keep their mouths closed for what purpose? So that's quite a big um, point in favour of the abduction. So I just want to quick speak quickly before we get on to um, the other theories about uh, the man that Jane Tanner saw that night because the first night that she saw him, she said that she um, she didn't get a good look at him. He walked briefly across the road. One thing I wanted to point out that as time went on, her description of this man became more and more detailed, which is sort of a point that people bring up a lot because generally with memory, as time goes on, and you get further away from the event, your memory actually deteriorates rather than getting better. So people did find it strange that her first kind of sketch of the man was very basic. It was just his clothes holding the girl, the face, there was no face to it. Um, and then there were other sketches drawn that um, where it actually was a full facial detailed thing. And this was some time after. So people could call, kind of call into question, how did her memory sort of get better as time goes on? And then this comes into another fact. At some point, so at some point, Jane Tanner actually identified who she thought may have been that man carrying the child. There was an interpreter named Robert Murat who was um, initially helping the McCanns and the um, Portuguese police sort of translate language between them. So he kind of inserted himself into the situation, as people say. Like, you know how you kind of hear that mm. people who are kind of involved maybe insert yeah, themselves absolutely. into a case? Yeah. So he's sort of um, actually a woman in the media who spoke to him started to become suspicious of him. And at some stage, Jane Tanner said, I think that Robert Murat was actually the man that I saw carrying the child. So at some stage, he became a suspect. He was actually named an Arguido, which means suspect in Portuguese. So I just thought I wanted to bring him up. He actually was cleared, so it's, I don't personally find it that relevant to the story because he was cleared, and it kind of seems like um, he was just kind of a convenient suspect. Um, I, I just didn't want to go into it too much, but I did just want to mention it because it was a part of the case. Anyway, moving on. So now we're going to talk about the potential theory that is parental involvement and cover-up. Many people believe that Kate and Jerry McCann were involved in the death of their daughter and the concealment of her body. One of the biggest problems that people have with the McCanns is the fact that they were negligent of their children in deliberately leaving them unsupervised in the apartment while they went out for dinner. These were two- and three-year-old children, and I don't think anyone can dispute that this was a negligible decision. And the thing that I think rubs a lot of people up the wrong way is that less wealthy parents have been charged with less. Yeah. So And haven't had anywhere near as much support. Exactly right. The support so, that came after this. Yeah. I know we're not talking about that right now, but... I feel like yeah. this is something... It's, it's just a point to say because mm. it really does, I think, rub people up the wrong way that they were just sort of... Well, especially they haven't even been charged with leaving their children alone. Another point is the inconsistencies that sneak through between the McCann's statements and their friend's statements, as well as the inconsistencies between the McCann's earlier statements and their later statements. In fairness to this, it obviously could be a result of memory fading over time, but 
it definitely is important to speak about it because there is huge inconsistencies. It could also be another... It could also be a result of shock, like they just lost their yeah. child, so that's another reason there may be some inconsistencies. But one thing that was curious is actually the night that it happened, mm. one of the first things the group did was tear a page out of one of Maddie's colouring books, sit together and all write out a timeline. Okay. So it's many people speculate that this was actually them kind of locking in a timeline that suited yeah. the group and suited the story. Obviously, again, can't confirm that, but that is a point that is brought up time and time yeah. again, which people find suspicious because I think for most of us, that may not be the first thing you do when your child goes missing is sort of deadlock in a timeline and mm. share it amongst your friends. But anyway, um, when it comes to this case, there's also a lot of talk about the McCanns sedating their children so that they could get through dinner without the kids waking up. I did want to point out that there's actually no evidence of the McCanns drugging the children. It is hearsay. But the reason we are mentioning it is because it is one of the suggestions people make for what maybe why the parents wanted to cover up Maddie's death. Because if she died by accident and had sedatives in her system on autopsy, the McCanns could lose their medical licences as well as their freedom. And obviously, again, there's no evidence, but this is, I think, one of the main kind of theories people come up, up with for like if she had an accident why didn't you just call the police mm. well that would be a good reason because obviously if you're sedating your children you wouldn't want that to be a known fact one of the most damning pieces of evidence against the McCanns is two specially trained dogs from the UK called Eddie and Keela in 200 cases that the dogs have investigated prior to Madeline's they have had a 100% success rate Eddie was a cadaver dog trained trained to detect the scent of the dead and Keela was a blood dog able to find blood in such minuscule amounts that they could be missed by investigators. They were shown into a number of properties but they only alerted to the McCann's property. Eddie placed his nose on one of the shelves in the cupboards in the McCann's bedroom and barked as well as alerting behind the sofa in the living room, which at this point had been pushed up against the wall, but in photos of the McCann, when the McCanns were staying there, there was a small distance between the wall and the couch. Keela also alerted in the same spot behind the couch that Eddie had alerted. For this reason, Portuguese detectives believed that a body had been stored in that cupboard at some point, as well as having been behind the sofa. The dogs also both alerted to the boot of the hire car that the McCanns hired 23 days after Madeline's disappearance. They also alerted to the clothing Kate had been wearing on the day of the disappearance, as well as Maddie's toy, Cuddle Cat. And I also just wanted to mention about the hire car. Um, after the McCanns moved out of apartment 5A, they obviously still wanted to stay in Portugal to be close to the investigation. They, I think, rented out an apartment, um, like a different kind of house apartment, a bit further out from um, the Ocean Club. A neighbour who was staying near the McCanns said that every time she drove past their house and saw the hire car, the boot was open day and night for the whole kind of amount of time that they were there and she found that quite suspicious and did report that to police um samples of the blood that was found by Keela was sent to UK's expert lab the forensic science service in Birmingham one thing that was concerning to lab specialists was that the media began reporting that the DNA did not belong to Maddie 
even before they had the results. So the lab actually came forward and publicly denied this fact, stating we actually don't have the results, so we don't know why the media is saying it's not Maddie. This is one of the points that started people questioning the close relationship that the McCanns have to the media, specifically Clarence Mitchell, who is actually the director of the UK government's media monitoring unit, which controlled the flow of information to the newspapers. So he is a very influential media personality, and he was working very close with the McCanns. They actually hired him as a publicist. So this is somebody that is very involved, knows his media, and has his hands in the media. He's connected and he is working for the McCanns. This is not a normal situation. I think you can agree that it's not normal for the parents of a missing child to be working very closely with somebody who is, like, right within the centre of the media. When the official results of the DNA test came out, 10-plus lab professionals signed a document that confirmed the existence of 15 out of 19 alleles that were the same as Maddie's DNA. The problem was that they were using low-copy DNA, low-copy number DNA, where they artificially enlarged the sample, so they can't give a 100% guarantee. There was also a mixture of three people's DNA in the sample, so the sample could have come from other members of the McCann family. The McCanns were eventually summoned for a deposition in Portugal and made official arguidos, which obviously, as we said before, means suspect in Portuguese. When asked questions by the police, Kate McCann refused to answer all 48 questions, which is not consistent with how most mothers behave when they had a missing child, when they have a missing child. So do we know if her lawyer told her not to answer these questions or are we unsure? I'm unsure. Okay. Because I just wonder, it does make me wonder, was that something she was told to do? Because after, like you and I obviously have both read through these questions, some of them, the questions feel like if she answered them, they might be closer to finding the daughter, like whether it was an abduction, whether the child walked Mm. out, they may, some of these questions might actually help get closer to that. If she was an innocent woman, which I genuinely don't know either way, you would sort of think she would probably want to answer some of these questions to give the police more information. So, you know, I just find that an interesting fact. So I would have to assume if she was innocent that her lawyer might have told her not to answer those questions, which, yeah, could very well be the case. I don't know if you've heard of the case um, of Polly Class. I haven't. Um, Mark Class, her father, is like a major advocate now for when your child goes missing. He sort of advises parents on what to do when your child goes missing, and he strongly, strongly suggests that you answer all questions okay. to police, take a lie detector test immediately, to just get rule your yourself yeah. out so that they can move on. For mm-hmm. me personally, I believe, I don't know whether it's because I've heard what he's had to say, but I feel like if one of my children went missing, I would be moving heaven and earth. I would do anything to yeah. get them back. And, and it just it just doesn't sh- seem to be there. But having, hey, we yeah. don't know. I, Kate and Jerry having, may feel like they were moving he- yeah. heaven and earth. Like, we are not in their heads. We're not there with them. And obviously, you've definitely like we've definitely found some extreme inconsistencies. Um, but you know, these are two grieving parents potentially. Like, potentially, yeah, allegedly. So Kate um, didn't answer forty-eight of the questions. There was a question that she did answer. So the one question that she did answer was, are you aware that in not answering the questions, you are jeopardizing the investigation, which seeks to discover what happened to your daughter? And Kate's response was, 
yes, if that's what the investigation thinks. So it's a little bit of an interesting response to that question. So Jerry also denied every conclusion that the investigative team put forward to him. So Portuguese police basically believed that Maddie's death was an accident and that her parents covered it up and disposed of her body. And this is confirmed by former lead detective in the case, Gonzalo Amaral, in his book, The Truth of the Lie, about the case. So another theory that's out there, and this might be a little bit far-fetched, but this is another theory that is out there that we just thought it's worth mentioning because some people are really strong on this one. Really strong. So if we leave this one out, there's a lot of people that would be like, you've literally just left out. There are some seriously long documentaries on this Mm. case as well. So if you're interested in this, I highly recommend that you look up Richard Hall on YouTube and check out his series on Madeline McCann's case. For me personally, I struggle. I think it might be a little bit too far-fetched for me me to kind of get my head around but some people are like yeah this is set on this and it's very interesting uh, yeah it's interesting but it, it may not be the truth but yeah. this is a theory that's out there and we're yeah we're definitely gonna tell you guys about it so um to elaborate a little bit more there's a theory that there is a pedophile ring which includes people in high places and may even include the mccanns and people they holidayed with it is common knowledge that the mccanns are friends with people in high places The McCanns paid PR consultant and politician Clarence Mitchell to be their spokesperson from early in the case. They also received a number of personal phone calls from the then Prime Minister, Gordon Brown. This is not something that is normal in missing children cases. The Prime Minister does not routinely make phone calls to the parents of missing children, much less parents who were, at the time, considered suspects in their child's disappearance. These connections the McCanns have contribute to people's suspicions about them having help from people in high places in the cover-up. So there's also been some suggestion of pedophilic behaviour amongst members of the Tapas Nine. On the 16th of May 2007, after hearing about Maddie's disappearance, a couple who had previously holidayed with the McCanns and Paynes came forward with some disturbing information. Savio Gaspar was an old friend of Kate and the two couples had become good friends. They all went on holidays together along with the Paynes and another couple. It was all fun and games until one night when the parents were having a few drinks outside. Catherine Gaspar, who's obviously Savio's wife, was sitting between Jerry McCann and David Payne when they began talking about Maddie. Dave said to Jerry she would do this and started sucking on one of his fingers, pushing it in and out of his mouth and circling his finger around his nipple in a provocative fashion. She was shocked and looked around to see if anyone else had heard the conversation. The table went awkwardly quiet for a moment and she remembered David actually doing the same thing in a separate conversation, which for her reinforced her concerns. She remembers speaking to her husband and saying not to let David bathe the children. Again, this was just from Catherine's words, so we can't confirm or deny it, but obviously it's an interesting point because some people are very, like, attached to the pedophile theory. And we know pedophiles are out there and we know pedophile rings exist. So I'm not saying it does in this case, but it's a thing. It's not just a... a And it could well in this case. It's just also very complex. I think 
you know, we have a tendency to say the simplest answer is probably right. And I think for the most part it is, but that's not to say that there are cases where it actually is extremely complicated. We've definitely spoken about cases where it isn't always the simplest answer. It's not always the boyfriend. It's not always the husband. I think you could say as a general rule, it generally is, Mm. but it's not always. Absolutely. And this is one of those cases. It's so very complicated. Like we've had this conversation. We've kind of discussed what we think. And I feel like we've probably been um, a bit less tiptoey than maybe certain other podcasts. But, um, but at, at the, the end, end of the day, day we've gotten nowhere. Yeah. We don't know what happened. There's no answer at the end of the day. No. So we might have theories. We can put all the theories out there that are out there, but we there's no answer. No, no. one has an answer because there's no – well, someone knows the answer. Yeah. But I think all no you can do is like it's Madeline. good for different – uh, different people with different opinions about what might have happened to speak out because obviously the more you speak out maybe the more likely that someone who does have information will speak out if they hear the right thing at the right time and that's really all we can do mm, I, I think we both really hope at the end of the day that one day the truth comes out whatever that is because at yeah. the end of the day what does everybody want justice for Madeline it's about Madeline yeah, yeah. that's the truth should come out one yeah. day I hope for Madeline's sake yeah and yeah, I guess that pretty much wraps it up. Yeah. I hope you found this interesting. We did try to sort of come at it from a slightly different angle. So yeah, thank you guys so much for your support on our Patreon. Yeah, thank it really you. means a lot yeah, to us. It really does. Like just yeah, you guys are literally the best. Like you yeah. make us really, really happy. So thanks yeah. guys. We and, um, really appreciate it. We will be having a break from the regular episodes over Christmas and the start of January. We will be putting out um a January patreon episode and bill would you like to say what that is because it's one of your favorite cases yeah so it's one of the ones that i the first documentary um well crime documentary that i actually watched so we're going to be covering um the west memphis three so um yeah pretty excited about that and hopefully you guys will find that one interesting thanks heaps guys we hope you stay safe and have a good christmas yes merry christmas